Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio program. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today, this is actually going to be episode four in the water walking because I came across some really good information for y'all. So this is for all the weary water walkers in 2023, episode four. And it's, other than that, there's no title because I don't know what to call it. So y'all can see what you think. So I've been surprised by the number of people who have emailed me and said, hey, I'm glad you're doing the water walk series. I'm going into a water walk or I'm in a water walk and I needed to know more about it, you know, and things like that. And that was the reason I wanted to go ahead when I came across this information to go ahead and do a fourth episode. I want to be sure that y'all understand water walking because there's going to be a whole lot of water walking going on, okay? So the term water walking is really taken from Matthew chapter 14. Um, It's in verses 28 and 29. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He walked. Is that cool? He walked. He was actually walking on it. And and in verse 28, we see that a water walk starts when Jesus says, come. That's when he started walking. And water walking is a process. You learn more every time you do it. Going on in verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now, when when that happened, when he noticed that the wind was really, you know, coming against him and he became afraid, then he cried out to the Lord. So what is that? That is our dependence on the Lord. He was demonstrating that we're dependent on the Lord. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Jesus showed Peter he had him in every situation. Every situation he caught him. O thou of little faith tells us the reason for the test. It's about faith, y'all. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. The wind ceasing signified that that part of the test was over. So water walking is really a wilderness journey that God leads you into, except instead of, let me explain it this way. In a water walk, you're sent someplace physically. You're told to go. You go physically. You move physically. Your body goes. In a wilderness, your body stays the same place. You don't move, but your spirit is taken into a wilderness. Okay, does that make sense? So water walking is basically God sends you someplace and you end up going into, I don't want to say it's a wilderness because what it really is, is a season where he's teaching you things about himself. It's not always just a horrendous wilderness where you're losing your mind like the wildernesses I went through. But basically God starts by saying, hey, go there or go here or step out or I'm sending you to such and such place. Sometimes... He tells you ahead of time that you're going to be leaving. Um, I used to get like 30-day notices. He would tell me to start packing, and 30 days later, he'd go, okay, you know, load up, you're going here, you're going there, wherever. 
in Woodward, he told me a month ahead of time. And there was another time, too, that he told me a month ahead of time. I can't remember when it was, though. Okay. Sometimes you get very short notice. I don't know if that depends on how you react to change or where you're going or what. I'm not sure why some get longer. You know, I don't get as long notices now necessarily. I may get short ones or I may get long ones. For the move to Louisiana, I actually got very short notice. Very short notice. Days. So, you often will not be told where you are being sent, only that he wants you to go. Okay? Don't panic about that. It feels really scary to say, okay, you know, pull your car out of the driveway, out of the driveway and start driving. Get on the highway and start driving and you don't know where you're going. We're not used to that because that's not the, the way that really any of us live. But that's he likes for us to depend on him and to trust him with every step of the way. And remember, he is teaching you to believe him. You will often not know what your provision will be in the wilderness season or, re, or teaching season where he is leading you. So in a water walk, God sends you someplace and he takes you into a time of teaching and or refining. We, like Peter, look at the water and we wonder if where the Lord has told us to go will really hold us up. Then we step out of the boat, the first step of our water walk journey. And then Jesus, who is saying, why did you doubt me? Reaches out his hand and rescues us just as we are about to go under. I'll tell y'all what, my 2009-10-2010 wilderness started as a water walk. The Lord sent me from Oklahoma to Texas. And I had no idea that he was sending me there to stay there for a while. And it turned out to be, that actually turned out to be my favorite place to live. I was down there for, I can't remember how long, but I loved living in Dallas. Uh, in Richardson. It was a very quiet area of Richardson where I lived and I had a, lived in an old apartment complex, which was plenty nice enough and it was very roomy, which most apartments are not. That one was very roomy. It was a three bedroom. So one bedroom was um, my office and it was worked really, really well. I'd really like to live in there. But um, okay. So in that wilderness, there was a bunch of times I thought I was going under, okay? Because, I mean, I was scared. I didn't even know what was going on or why that was happening to my life. And that makes it harder if you don't know. That's one of the reasons I teach on this so much is if y'all go into one, I want you to know where you are and why. Because if you understand the process, you can partner with God and cooperate with him and get out faster. If you fight him, or if you don't know where you are and you're just fighting like a wildcat or you're resisting what he's trying to teach you and affect in your life, you will be there for a long time and it will not be fun. Can I just tell you that? O Thou of Little Faith tells us the reason for the journey. It is because our faith is too small for what the Lord knows is just ahead. And never has that been more true than now. When Peter stepped out of the boat was right after he had just seen Jesus feed the multitudes, thousands of people, with a two-piece fish dinner. He had seen what Jesus could do. But you know what? Until we see something over and over and over again, 
it is so hard to believe, isn't it? It's so hard to believe. And you can see those miracles and see them and see them, but until the miracles are happening for you, it's still hard to believe. And there's another thing too, when you're in one of these learning seasons, Satan will whisper, yeah, Jesus did that for them. And he's not going to do that for you. Not, especially not after you did such and such sin, you know, because he loves to rub your face and, you know, the last sin that you did 15 years ago. So these teaching seasons are to build your faith in God's hand of provision and in his word. The Lord is on one side, Satan's on the other side. You're in the middle deciding on an hourly basis who you will believe and who you will serve or whether you will fold under the pressure and just go back to your sin. And you take the faith test over and over and over and over until not only can you pass it, but you can pass it consistently without really thinking about it too much. It becomes habit. That's where he is trying to get you where you believe continually without having to put forth so much effort. It's like when you train your muscles to lift more weight, you do reps, you do 10, then you do 15, then you increase the weight, then you increase the weight some more and you strain against the weight. If you've ever done weight training, you know this. And you fight the pain to get, you know, the gain that you want. No pain, no gain, right? When you get those muscles built, you can pick that weight up like it's nothing, right? That's what he's trying to do with your faith. He wants to build your faith muscles so that they work. Even on big things, you don't even really have to believe too hard. It's just there. The faith is just there. In a water walk situation or a teaching season or time of refining, your rewards will increase your anointing increases dramatically, especially if you are called to teach the word or minister worship or something like that. The anointing will just explode in a tough refining season. You may not sense it, but everyone around you will. In my first water walk, when God sent me to Dallas that time, I saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And that wilderness that that season culminated in getting one of my favorite jobs of all time, working for an amazing and compassionate boss and living in that apartment I told you about that I loved for like four years. And in the last really bad wilderness in 2009, 2010, I saw a lot of financial miracles, just jaw dropping stuff like nothing I had ever seen before. And that one culminated in me writing The Wilderness Companion and the Lord promoting me to working only for him. So there are great rewards to these seasons. You just have to endure. And I know enduring is not fun. I've had plenty of practice at it. Both water walks and wildernesses and some of the teaching seasons and refining times can get scary to us because they take us out of our comfort zones. And we're asked to do things that you know, we're going on journeys that we would not put ourselves on. You know, we don't tend to go and jump off cliffs on an everyday basis. And that's what it feels like is jumping off a cliff. And we don't jump out where we can't see anything that's going to hold us up. But faith is the substance, right? Faith is the substance you're stepping out on when it looks to everybody else like you're stepping out on nothing. All of my wilderness and water walk and teaching journeys were about trusting him for provision except one which was for healing from the stroke. 
These seasons are like taking a college course in how to believe God for what you need. Because you're learning to trust him and you're getting to know him better. And every time he comes through for you, you see something else about him and you know more about him. You know him better and you understand him better. I mean, you go from believing God to like really believing God, okay? In water walks and wilderness journeys, we'll just call them that, you generally will be stripped of or required to leave behind all your comforts. And that's really hard on us. And your resources like savings accounts generally will suddenly be gone or you will be put in a position where they are quickly depleted so that your journey can begin. Because it is all about learning to stand on the promises of God and believe him to provide. And you may think you do now, but when you're rolling down a highway and you got no place, you don't have any idea where you're going and you have no place to lay your head that night and you have no consistent source of income, then you're going to get a real picture of what really believing God looks like. And it's tough. I'm not kidding you. It's tough. It's very challenging. But unless it challenges us, we will not grow. So you're put in a position where you have to use all your savings and all your, your assets, basically. And the reason is because until we have to stand on the word of God and believe for that provision, we're not going to do it because it's hard work. Can I just tell you it's hard work? I still remember 2009, y'all. And it is how many years later? 13, 14 years later. I still remember the fear that I would feel when the bills would come in the mail and I had no income coming in. This was at, way back at the very beginning of this ministry. I mean, once in a while, somebody would send 20 bucks or something like that, but it was not a consistent or substantial amount of income, not, not even close. And the bills would come in and then I'd sit there that evening in front of the computer and I'd pour me a cup of coffee and just go, okay, I'm going to believe God because I have to believe God. And I would fight the fear and fight to stand on the word. And I would find me a scripture to stand on. You know, I was a tither even then. And so I would stand on the tithing scripture that, you know, he was going to, he was going to meet all my needs and all that. And I would stand on Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. And I stand on that one even today, but you know, I would stand and stand and stand. And he taught me that his word is like a contract. Being a formal legal assistant or paralegal, uh, I used to deal with contracts a lot, and we've all signed contracts. A contract is a guarantee between two parties. You give me this, and I'm going to do that. If somebody does not perform their part of the contract, or if it looks like they're not going to perform it, you make a demand on that contract, you take them to court, you do whatever you got to do to get the results that you contracted to get. His word is the same way we can make a call on his word for what it says that we get. If it says you get, you know, that you don't have to live in poverty, then you don't have to live in poverty. But the devil's not going to take that laying down. You're going to have to stand up and fight for it. I lived most of my life in poverty. It is not fun. I prefer having enough by far. Can I just say that? And that's one of the things I love about God is he won't let you do without he might let you get a little lean now and then, but he's not going to let you go without. Or at least he never has me. So he will make sure that your resources are depleted so you can learn dependence. Because this is about dependence. 
because otherwise you will continue providing for yourself and your, your faith won't increase one iota. Water walks and wilderness journeys are preparation for something the Lord knows is coming in your future where you will not have enough provision or where he wants to take you out of where your provision is because he wants to use you in the kingdom. In my case, it was the latter. He wanted me, and I didn't know then, he wanted me to go to work for him, but first he had to teach me how you get a paycheck from him. You have to believe for the provision to come in, and then he supplies it. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. And that's how God brings money to you. He has people give to you when you're in need. And it, it can be people you've never even heard of before. People you've never met. You might be putting gas in your vehicle and the person next to you, you know, hands you a hundred dollar bill and drives off. It, he does miraculous things like that. Now, miracles are primarily to help unbelievers believe, but God will get provision to you however he has to. So you don't have to worry. It will show up if you believe it will show up. You have to fight the fear pretty hard. So some of these journeys are because he wants to place you where you will need to be able to believe for provision in order to fulfill something he wants you to do. And I know right now, because he's showing me, I'm talking to a bunch of people that you know God has called you to do something, but you've been staying in your comfort zone. And I don't blame you. I understand what that feels. It's like, it's like being rolled up in a warm, fuzzy blanket. You don't want to give it up, right? But here's the thing, that warm fuzzy blanket is going away anyway. And if you step out when he tells you to step out, he will bless you. The longer you wait to do something God tells you to do, the harder it will be. Can I just tell you that? Back in 1997, when I still smoked cigarettes, and the Lord was, he was kind of nudging me that he wanted me to give those up, and I was kind of ignoring him. And then that one night, I was <laughs> getting into bed with about 10 or 10.30 at night. I'm kind of a night owl sometimes. And I was getting into bed with a cup of coffee and a lit cigarette. And to read the Bible, I had my Bible in my hand. I cannot make this up, y'all. And it, and I could just feel him pointing at the cigarette and going, tonight. And I was like, oh, I just bought a new carton. And he knew, you know, I mean, I'd bought a carton and put it in my freezer, you know, because they were menthol cigarettes. And um, he's like, tonight. I was like, oh, I said, well, I'm going to smoke this one. And I said, I'm not going to pretend I want to do this because that would be false. And I said, you know, I don't, but I will do it because I want to please you more than anything. And oh, how I dreaded the next morning so bad because I had tried to quit many times and it had not worked. And I worked uh, down here in South Louisiana on a crew of managers and I managed the permit section of the job. We were down at Morgan City. And every two hours, we would all walk outside together and smoke a cigarette. And I dreaded it because I was like, I knew I was going to be watching everybody else smoke cigarettes and I wouldn't be able to have one. So I was like, well, I'll just walk outside and just talk to him and, you know, just see what happens. So I did what the Lord asked me to do. And I went to bed, went to sleep. And the next day I got up and I went into to work. And when everybody walked outside for break, I walked outside with them and I did not light up. I never had a withdrawal. I never had a craving, y'all. He took it, and he took it all. If you obey him, he can set you free. I am talking to somebody. There's somebody listening to me that you're you're doing like um, 
crack or something like that. Some kind of one of those drugs. I don't know much about drugs. You forgive my ignorance. Y'all probably laugh at me, but I just never was much in the drug scene. You're on crack or crank or something like that. And you want to get off of it, but you don't know how. And the people around you, not hardly anybody knows you're doing it. If you will give that to him, honey, he'll take it and he'll deliver you from it. He will deliver it from you from that and you'll never want it again. If he does it, whom the son sets free is free indeed. I never needed a cigarette after that. I never had a craving. So if you want to be free, you can be free. I don't care what you're addicted to. If you're on meth, you can be free of meth. We serve a mighty God. and Nobody has to be a slave to any kind of drug or any kind of sin unless you just don't want to ask him to get you free. He'll do his part if you'll do your part. And all you have to do is resist it and try not to put yourself in the, you know, in the way of it. I worked on the job where everybody smoked, so I couldn't really escape that part. But I just went outside every time they went outside. It was three days before, before anybody realized I was not lighting up a cigarette. <laughs> three days. So I thought that was pretty good. But the best part was no withdrawals. So he will help you if you want help. The number one rule of water walking is do not step out of the boat until you know that you know that you know that you know that you've heard from God to do what you're about to do. You need to know beyond any doubt that you have heard from him on this because Satan's going to send doubt shouters and Satan's going to torment you and tell you you didn't hear from God and you're crazy and, and everybody's going to think you're stupid. And I mean, he's going to tell you so many things that he's just going to be reeling them off. And you have to know that you heard God. Because if you know that you heard from God, that's all you need to know. That's it. That's all you need to know. Another reason is because when your provision is gone, when your savings are all gone, and you don't have any money coming in, you are going to have to know for sure you heard from him to go wherever it is he's sending you in order to be able to believe him for your provision. Where he guides, he always provides, always, 100% of the time. So if you know he sent you, then you know he will provide for you, okay? How you know that you know that you know is part of what you stand on. And it helps you not freak out when the doubt shouters show up and the doubt shouters are going to show up, okay? They're going to show up, usually at a critical point. But if you know they're coming, it's not as upsetting. Okay, so here's just a few things about water walks and wilderness journeys that I went through that might help you in yours. My wilderness and water walks usually lasted around six months or so. I don't remember any that lasted a year. I'm not sure I could have handled the wilderness, especially for that long, because it wears you out. Because you are working hard to just believe your guts out. And I mean, it is constant. If you are in a wilderness for over a year, you should seriously take a look at what you're being tested on because that means you are not passing the test. Get right and get yourself out of there. And until you do pass the test, you're going to remain where you are. So it's very important that you find out where you're not passing. Look and make sure you don't have any pride because pride will keep you there. Pride will get you led to the wilderness all by itself. Rebellion, sin, uh, sinful relationships, a relationship the Lord has already said no to. 
Any of these things will keep you in a wilderness longer. It's up to you. Pride is a very big one, but um, you know, wrong relationships are also disobedient. So watch out for that sort of thing. Are you demanding God meet certain conditions for you before you'll step out of the boat? I would not advise doing that, by the way. Because I promise you, he can change your mind. I can't remember exactly the story that I've told for years now about my niece, Angie. And she was so kind and, and gracious to let me use her story. Because she was working in Amarillo and God was trying to move her back to Western Oklahoma because her parents were declining in health and she needed to be there. Well, she told him, she said, well, I'm not going unless you give me a job and blah, 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 and all this. And she told me about this later and I was like, you know, because I know you can't ever put conditions on God. But so she didn't go and she didn't go and she didn't go and she stayed in that job and um, she got robbed. She got robbed in her, out of her. Somebody took her new prescription glasses and I think her, in her rent money out of her purse. She left her purse in the car, took her money out of her purse. So then she didn't have any way to pay her rent. One way God will move you is if you can't stay where you're at, right? That's how he got me out of Sierra, Oklahoma, that first wilderness. I couldn't pay, I could not pay $200 rent, y'all. That's how broke I was. So she still didn't go. She didn't realize it was God that allowed the robbery to happen. So she still didn't go. And she kept working her job. She really loved Amarillo. She had a good setup there. She was uh, a manager of two departments. The only time that had ever happened at, the, at Amarillo's only four-star hotel. And Angie is really good at what she does. So she's a sous chef and and i think she was managing the kitchen too or something and everybody loved her she had friends she had relatives at the you know we have family up there i still have family up there and she loved her house that she lived in there and she lived at i think she lived in canyon but anyway so she was trying to hold on to that because she was happy there nobody can blame anybody for that so anyway she stayed and she got robbed again one of her employees came in and told her to said, hey, somebody broke into your car. And she thought they were joking. She's like, yeah, right. And they're like, no, seriously, they broke into your car. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And so she ran out there. And she, when she saw it, I think she said her window was bashed in. And they had you know, taken whatever out of the car. They had bashed her window in and taken anything of value, I think, out of there. And she said she dropped to her knees right there in the parking lot in front of her employees and said, okay, I'll go, I'll go. That was when she had the epiphany and realized that it was God. Because that had never happened to her before. It had never happened to her. I think she, if I remember right, she tried to keep that job part-time and go on weekends. <laughs> and then on the weekends, she went back up there to work because she loved working there. She got robbed again. So uh, she was like, okay, I get it. But if she had not obeyed at that point, she would have lost a lot of blessings because by obeying, God gave her the best job she had ever had and that she absolutely loved and worked for a long time after that. And then she was able to be there for her parents and stuff. And her stepfather has since passed away. And my sister, uh, my sister is still alive and she helps take care of her. But God would have continued removing her provision where she was if she had stayed. He will make that brook dry up, y'all. not kidding you. He will. Another thing is God moves your, he moves the anointing. I talked about this last podcast. He moves the anointing from where you are when he wants you to be someplace else. 
And what will happen is where you are, you'll just start to feel like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this place. You know, where before you really liked it. And the, then the place that he takes you, you're happy because he's moved it ahead of you. He also moves your provision like that. He will dry up the brook where you're at if he's got to give you a little nudge to get you out of there. If you're a little bit too comfortable and he's trying to get you out of there, he'll just start, you know, you'll lose hours at your job or you'll lose your whole job. Eventually, you'll just lose your whole job. I think Joyce Meyer said that when God was trying to get her to stop working and, you know, train to work for him, she tried to work just part time and she got fired from her job. And she was... She never got fired. She was hard work and she was never fired. And he let her get fired from her job because he wanted her full time for him. And look what he's accomplished through her. She's worldwide. It's a huge, huge teaching ministry. So he moves your anointing and your provision ahead of you. So when you start feeling dissatisfied where you are and, and you'll even feel dissatisfied working when I went back to work after God had told me that he was, you know, I was retired from my labors. But when the rent didn't show up that one month in the wilderness, I was like, all bets are off. I'm getting a job. If I can find one, they'll hire me. And I went back to um, working in all related industries around the Dallas-Fort Worth area, primarily. And drove an extreme commute of an hour and a half each way in Dallas-Fort Worth traffic. You do not want to know what that was like. It put a whole new spin on exhaustion. It was bad. I worked that job for three or four months, and then I changed brokers. And I went through four brokers in a year, and I generally didn't change brokers, but it once every four years. And there was no anointing on any of those jobs. And finally, I stopped, and I was like, okay, you don't want me out here. This is not going to get any better. Okay. First Kings 17, verse 1 through 4. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. He was saying, go to the brook. I've already told them to feed you. So he moved Elijah's provision before he moved Elijah. So Elijah wasn't going to be feel anointed at the brook Cherith anymore because there wasn't going to be anything there to eat or drink. And he wasn't supposed to be there. So if the Lord is telling you to step out of the boat, just step, just obey, just start trusting him. And it is not an easy process if you have never done it. Know that you're in for that, but know also that it reaps, you will reap rewards that are just priceless. Because when you get that rock hard faith that you can believe God every hour of every day for provision, nothing shakes it. Nothing. It is just, it's built on the rock. And it's unshakable. And then when you see the famine coming, the food shortages, the job loss, all of that, it won't shake you because you'll be unshakable in that faith. And that's what I want y'all to get. I want y'all to get this kind of faith because then you're not going to be scared of what's coming. I don't want y'all to be scared. I don't want you to have to suffer in any of that. Only people who have this kind of faith and trust in God are going to do well in these times. 
That is the only thing that will help you. You can work with God or you can work against God, but only he can bring you out of a wilderness or a water walk journey. So it will help you if you, number one, submit. Number two, study his word. And one of the ways we study is we listen to sermons all the time. Find scriptures on provision, buy a promise book, on not fearing, on trusting, on whatever you need the most help on and start confessing them out loud. Listen to sermons about them. Your faith will not come right away, but it will come if you will just do these things, okay? If you will not give up and you will do these things, your faith will build. When you step out of the boat, the journey is about trusting him, completely trusting him and, and trusting his word is true. Remember to breathe. Don't look at your circumstances. Trusting God is about walking by faith, not by sight. You will have to train yourself on this part because we are humans and our nature is to look at the problem and look at the circumstances and talk about it. Eventually, though, not looking at the circumstances will become second nature. I promise you it does. And that is what he's trying to get you to. He's trying to get you to look at him. If you look at him, you're not looking at the problem. You're looking at the solution. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep doing the next thing. Keep doing the right thing. If you get into sin in one of these walks, I promise you it is not going to help you. It's going to delay you coming out the other side. Stay away from sin and wrong relationships in general, but any kind of sin. Praise and worship. You can worship your way through almost anything. Real worship. Even things you do not understand. And pray in the Spirit, too. That will help you a lot. If you have your, your um, angelic language, your spiritual language, pray in the Spirit. Stay in the word as much as you can. Listen to sermons. Listen to the Bible. You need his word. And the more knowledge you get of it, the more you will understand his personality and the more you will know about his promises. Realize that none of this is about you. It wasn't about me either. And these days, so many people are so self-centered and so wrapped up in, you know, their own lives and falling in love with their own face, taking selfies and, you know, all of that. But none of this is really about us. It's about bringing Jesus glory. And it's about getting kingdom work accomplished. It's about winning souls. But it's also going to be about making your way a whole lot easier when you've got this faith. It's not the purpose so much as it is. It's, it is the accomplishment that you will have when it's done. I don't know how to put that into words. Ever since about 2009, the Lord has been showing me a time of great lack coming, an economic crash that will be worse than the Great Recession of 0708. It will be a time of joblessness worse than the Great Depression of the 1920s. I want y'all to have this kind of faith so you can be taken care of when that time comes. If you want to be able to trust God or anyone else, you must first get to know them. Our trust is always based on what we know about a person, about their integrity, their faithfulness. If I know a bridge is built of strong steel, I will trust I can walk across that bridge safely. 
If I know a building is built sturdy, I trust that when I walk inside, it won't follow me. It will shelter me. We learn to trust based on what we know. We also learn to trust some. Our trust gets increased through experience with that, that person or that situation. Some people only claim to trust. How many people say they trust God, but they really don't even know God, so how can they really trust Him? They probably think they trust Him, and they'll find out they don't. They don't have one ounce of Bible faith if they don't know Him. You only have Bible faith if you can stand on Scripture when the rubber meets the road and you need something. I mean, you really need it, like you don't have money to pay rent or the mortgage whether it be financial, help with your kids, your marriage, healing, or whatever. If you cannot do that and receive what you need from God, you do not have Bible-believing faith. Or you don't have it in that area. And if you don't have that kind of faith, then when hard times get harder, you have nothing to stand on, and you're going to be terrified. The time to learn to stand on God's Word is now. Okay, how to know if you have Bible-believing faith? Do you know how to go into the Word and find a promise for what you need or several promises? And do you know how to pray and stand on those promises until you receive what it is you're asking for from God? Because that is what Bible-believing faith is. You know, I wonder if some people who are not applying themselves to this just think that, oh, you know, my faith is going to just jump up there and take care of me when all the, you know, the judgments happen or the famine comes or whatever happens. No, it's not. It is like a muscle. It's not going to jump up there and take care of you any more than I can walk out on my front porch and lift a 300-pound barbell. I have not trained to lift 300 pounds, so I can't lift it. It takes a lot of training. Your faith is not trained either, so we can't lift it either. So just remember that. Faith takes preparation. Years ago, back in 2003, I've told you all this story before, I went to a doctor who told me I had a growth, a mass uh, on the edge of my cervix. And that is not what you want to hear when you are in the examining table. Can I just tell you that? And she said something about biopsy. Nobody wants to hear the word biopsy at the doctor's office, do we? And the fear hit me so hard. I remember my blood running cold and feeling sick, just feeling sick, because my mother had uterine cancer. She was a uterine cancer survivor, sur survivor um, who was treated at MD Anderson Hospital, witness to everybody she talked to, told and preached the gospel all the way through that. <laughs> the whole time she was in the hospital, she was preaching the gospel to everybody. That was mom. but. And my father had lung cancer. And I mean, you know, so there's been enough cancer around that, you know, you don't want any. But I will never forget what it felt like to be given, you know, that information, which it turned out to be benign. But my faith was not built up for healing. I could stand on faith for a provision by then, but I didn't know anything about healing. And that taught me. I remember going to the apartment that night and going, I got to fix this. I got to get some healing faith and I got to get it quick in case that biopsy don't come back saying what I want it to say. And I started studying healing then. And when the stroke happened, I had to study a little harder 
And it's real hard to study after you've had a stroke for a while anyways. But we have different areas that we have to train our faith in. And one is provision and one is healing. And I can't think of any of the others right now, but that's two of the big ones. Probably the two biggest ones. The Lord showed me that millions of Christians are walking around saying they trust God with this or with that. And they really think that they do because they don't understand what it means to really trust Him. And the majority of churches, I think, are maybe not teaching a real Bible-believing faith. I think there are some that do because I've found some ministries that teach them, but I never heard any of that when I was going to church. I will say that. No, it is, it's dangerous territory for God's people to not be spiritually fed. We cannot afford to be lulled to sleep with lukewarm sermonettes. And I just tell you that. But he showed me that these people that think they believe and they don't are all going to be defeated very quickly when the real hard times hit. The question is, which group are you in? So let's find out. Noah had to have complete faith in God in order to build the ark and take his family with him on it. It had never rained. He, only had, he had only God's word that a flood was coming. And through all the mocking and laughing and being made fun of, and he must have gotten a few questioning looks from his wife and kids even. You know he did. And his neighbors, hey Noah, you want to play poker tonight with all the guys? No? Got to work on that boat again? You know, and okay, you know, and they're probably snickering as they walk away. But, you know, we don't know how long it took Noah to build the ark. But we do know it was about 510 foot long, 50 foot high, which is five stories, basically, and 86 foot wide. That's a whole lot of boat, y'all. That's a lot of boat. What guarantee was there that they would not also be taken in the flood? All he had was the word of God to him that they would be saved. That he was going to save them and keep them safe out of all the flesh on the earth. How hard would it be to believe that if you heard God speak that to you today? Get the boat built. I'm going to save you and your family, but nobody else. He must surely have warned his friends when he preached to them. Okay, guys, the flood's coming. You need to get ready. And, you know, they're probably still laughing, but. We sometimes have to go through some things in order for God to increase our faith like Noah. But, you know, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What is going to be required in times to come is water-walking faith, Bible-believing faith. Kind of faith that Peter had to have to step out of that boat because I wouldn't have done it. Not like that. Peter's faith was not big enough to sustain him on the rough seas he entered into at that time. His faith was not big enough. This is not a criticism, but I wouldn't have had that big of faith either, even now, was not big enough to handle the situation he had just been put in, and fear came quickly, didn't it? And it rendered him unable to complete the task he set out to do. Just like when I was on that examining table, fear hit quick. And it's hard to get off of you when it hits that fast. 
What happened to Peter is what is going to happen to all those who do not develop faith muscles before entering into that time which is coming and which will come suddenly and without warning. They may start out strong, but they will sink. They will not know how to walk in places that are not made for walking because it's not human nature to know that. They won't know how to survive in places where there is no provision. Because they have not spent any time getting to know the Lord and his word or learning to water walk. I think a lot of Christians believe their faith is much bigger than it actually is. I believed that too before I got put into the wilderness. If you asked most Christians today if they had Bible-believing faith, I think they would say yes. But a lot of them would say yes, not really understanding what that is. So I will leave you with this. Will Jesus find any real faith in your house when he returns? Or will you be like the house built on sand? You won't be able to stand in what's coming and the enemy will take you down quickly. Will he find any real Bible-believing faith or just the superficial lukewarm kind of faith? Will you choose to let him go ahead and increase your faith now or do you want to just take whatever the enemy deals you? Because you don't have anything to fight back against the enemy with if you don't have any faith. Water walking does not mean everything is going to miraculously change to wonderful overnight. We tend to think we're ready when we're not. And we expect God's promises to manifest overnight, and they don't. God is far more interested in developing our character than in developing our call. Water walking is a process. The Lord sends you out, and then he arranges your circumstances that he might teach you bit by bit that you will come out of it knowing the Lord better than ever before. And you will come out of it with faith so strong that is a priceless gift, priceless, because that faith will go with you the rest of your life and help you when you need help. I hope this episode four has been a blessing to you. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 239, Turkey Creek, Louisiana, 70585, or by email at jphtoday, that's J-P-H-T-O-D-A-Y, at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Does your life feel like it's falling apart around you? Are multiple things going wrong all at once? Does it seem all your comforts have been stripped away? You may have entered the wilderness. Wilderness experiences are oftentimes of great discomfort and lack. Every Christian must pass through the desert on the way to their promised land. 
Find out how to go from surviving to thriving by partnering with God as He leads you in the path that will strengthen your faith and prepare you to step into your destiny. The Wilderness Companion will help you find out why you have been led into the wilderness. Find out the biggest hindrances to receiving the provision you need in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Learn how to partner with God in His purposes for you in the desert seasons. Get your copy of The Wilderness Companion today. The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, or audiobook. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where suddenly it just felt like your whole life was falling apart? I call these experiences the wilderness experiences. Wilderness experiences are time of great uncertainty and change. Uh, there are times when our faith is tried and refined. After many experiences, the Lord spoke to me to write The Wilderness Companion, which is a virtual roadmap through the desert times of your life. Find out why you've been led to the wilderness. Find out what the biggest hindrance is to receiving provision in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Drastically cut the time you spend in the wilderness by learning how to partner with the Lord instead of working against Him. Every Christian needs to read The Wilderness Companion. It's by Glenda Lomax and it's available on Amazon.com or WingsOfProphecy.com. Amazon.com, The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax.